charged in religious honor killings. But then late this afternoon, Florence County, South Carolina, emergency management. The sigh of relief through police efforts. There's been a 43 month old. The day before the shooting, Crystal Holcomb bragged on Facebook water. Striking with little to no warning. Some homes, all I hear was shots. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And we're just sitting on the floor. And we're just In close proximity to their mother, Watts was fired Wednesday. The same struggle to contain the crowd with tear gas. Two of their cruisers set ablaze. The city's Mr. Stevens. On his Facebook page, which has been taken offline, Stevens claims to have killed up to 50. It's sickening, you know, it makes you wonder what would make individuals treat somebody like that. Well, good morning, my beautiful family. I asked Kelly to replay that video from last week. What a, what a powerful question. What would make people treat other people like that? What's going on in our world? Why are we seeing the things that we are seeing? Family, we're continuing on in our series, A Walk Through Romans. I shared with you that this is my favorite book of the Bible, and it is my prayer and my desire that as we make our way through this most powerful letter, that you would not only just fall more in love with the Word of God, but that the Word of God would get deep down in you so that it causes a transformation in you. That's the idea, that we don't just hear the word, but that we digest it and we live it and it transforms us because it's alive and it's active, amen? Yeah. It's powerful. And so, family, we're gonna make our way through the book of Romans and look, if we were to take like verse by verse or whatever, that could take forever. Jesus will be back by then. And so, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take it idea by idea. And we're going to look at this book over the next several weeks. And today, we're primarily going to focus on all of chapter one, all of chapter two, and most of chapter three. And so I, I want you to wrap your brain around this family. What's going on in our world? Paul, in this letter, he clearly defines for us what was happening then and what is happening now. What is the problem? I titled my message and our message today, family, just that, the problem. And the, the problem is sinful humanity, if you'll write that in your notes. Sinful humanity. Everybody is sinful. <laughs> so welcome to church. Isn't that good news? <laughs> That's what Paul does in the first few chapters of this book, is he starts building a case for what was wrong in the world then and what is wrong in the world now. 
And so I want to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to commit to being here so that we can follow this book all the way through to the end. Today, last week I gave you an introduction and we talked about the author and the audience and the application. And this week we're going to look at the first few chapters. And really this week is Paul building his case for what's wrong with the world. And so I want you to let me teach you today. There may not be a lot of hooping and hollering and amening, but I want you to let me teach you today what Paul so exquisitely wrote for us. And so let's jump into it, family, in your notes there. Paul, a servant of Jesus, of Christ Jesus. And remember I told you that Paul's Hebrew name was Saul. And so then at his conversion, sometime after his conversion, he changed it. He started referring to himself as Paul, which was his Roman name. So it's not that he changed his name. His Hebrew name was Saul. His Roman name was Paul. And doesn't it make sense that Paul mostly being an apostle or a teacher to the Gentiles, that he would go by his Roman name, right? Not not his Hebrew name. And so Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, before he gets into anything else and called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel, he was like, I want you to, I want to introduce myself to you. And I want you to know that the most important thing that you could ever know about me is that I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm so out of my mind about what he did. I can never get over the sacrifice that he made, the way that he lived his life and how he died. And now that he's resurrected, I am so bought into him that for the rest of my existence, I am going to live in his service. Before I'm an apostle, before I'm set apart for the gospel of God, I am first and foremost, know this about me, I am but a humble servant. And what a great picture for us, family. What a great way for us to live our lives. He goes on to give some salutations and some greetings and and to say that, man, I really wanted to get here to see you guys, to get to Rome, but I've been held up and I, I pray for you all the time and I hear about all the great things that you're doing. But then, family, he launches in and starts building his case in verse 16, your next chapter, or your next verse. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed to tie myself to this great news. I have not put my faith in something only to be let down. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so listen, in Paul's day, he would have had opportunity to be ashamed of this gospel because you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you guys, people made fun of it then like they do today and they didn't understand it and they're like, you're following this guy who was you know, crucified and dead. What are you doing? They didn't get it. They're like, any old like filthy Gentile can say, oh, now I'm a follower of Jesus. Like they would have made fun of it. And Paul is clear. He's like, I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because it's only because of the gospel that the power of God for salvation is made available. It's only by this incredible news for everyone who believes that you can be saved. Saved from what? We'll get to that. 
in just a little bit. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in this amazing gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith so he begins to break this down family after declaring i'm not ashamed of this gospel he tells us why it's because the only way that you and i are saved out of the guilt of our sin is because of the gospel of jesus christ amen family and so he's like listen i am not ashamed at all because this gospel In this gospel of Jesus is revealed a righteousness. Hmm. What's that mean? A righteousness, a way for you and I to appear in the presence of God and be declared righteous. Be accepted. Not be shunned, not be destroyed. It's the way. This gospel has revealed that there is a way for you and I to be saved. There's a way that we can be presented before God and not stand there with our knees knocking. There's a way we can stand boldly in front of his throne and know that he's going to say, come here, baby. I got you. I love you. It's in this gospel that we find acceptance. It's in this gospel that we're able to take off our clothes of unrighteousness and our sin and we're able to wrap ourselves up in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's like I'm not not ashamed of that. And he says it's from faith, for faith. And it's important that you get that. It is us receiving it in faith from God And the way that we're maintained in this is by faith. So notice he's not saying this family. He didn't say it's from faith to works. It's from faith to our ability. He said it's from faith for faith. Our faith in God is what actually sustains us in this relationship with him. He breaks it down for us in a beautiful way. He said, because those of us who follow Jesus, it's all by faith. The way we live is all by faith. And so he says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because salvation, it's the way that we're able to be saved. Saved from what? Let's go on. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so what Paul is doing here in this first chapter of Romans family, he is building a case for all of the sin that takes place primarily in the Gentile world, in the world outside of Jews. So he's building this case that because men are so wicked, we're so full of unrighteousness that there's coming a day that the wrath of God 
is going to be poured out. And if you're watching or if you're here, it's important that you don't check out, that it's important that you hear what I'm saying, okay? Because it's not often that you show up and hear me or one of our other pastors talking or preaching about the wrath of God, right? But you need to understand that it wouldn't be called salvation if we weren't being saved from something. And so what you and I in Jesus Christ are saved from is from the very wrath of God. There is coming a day, family, when the mercy and the grace of God will be lifted. And what will be poured out will be God's righteous wrath, His righteous judgment upon all who are outside of Christ. And I know, I knew today it was going to be quiet in here because that is a sobering thought. The wrath of God. Paul says, let me tell you why I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Because God has made a way He's made a way so that we never have to taste one ounce of that wrath. And so he starts building his case even further. I'm going to prove to you, Paul says, I'm going to show you what that unrighteousness and that ungodliness looks like. And then destiny, he launches in to this huge list of sins. He's like, to further build my case about ungodliness and unrighteousness, let me tell you about some of the things that are happening in the Gentile world then. And you will see it very clear, family, that it's happening in our world very much today. Paul starts listing the different results of unrighteousness and ungodliness. He's like, people then were sleeping with whoever they felt like sleeping with. People were murdering each other and they were stealing and they were lying and they were cheating and they were gossips and they had fits of anger and they were envious and they were covetous. They were malicious. It was like venom coming from their mouth. He lists all these sins and you, you remember I told you this before that anytime the Bible lists sins, it's not so that we can read that list and be like, I'm not doing anything on there. <laughs> it, the idea is, all sin. And he said, they, do, they don't have the excuse. They don't have the excuse that, well, we didn't know any better. Well, you know, the Jews have the law. They have these guidelines that God gave them telling them how to live. But we, you know, we're, ju we're just trying to make it they were idolatrous. They were worshiping all kinds of, they were having sex in their temples. It, you guys, Prostitution was, it was crazy. And Paul says, the reason why is because of unrighteousness and ungodliness. But he said, you don't have any excuse. You don't have any excuse, sure. 
You didn't have the law. You didn't have these special instructions from God on what to do and what not to do. But Paul says, hey, you're left without excuse because see that mountain and see those stars and see that sun and see this valley and see this river. All of creation screams. God is screaming, hey, I'm here. All of his invisible attributes, we can look around and see in creation. So Paul is like, uh-uh, you can't use that as an excuse. Because we like to use excuses, don't we? <laughs> Paul says all these things were going on, all this rampant sin was happening because of ungodliness and unrighteousness. And so then he tells us, God's response to that. Look at what he says, your next scripture. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's, it didn't say that God abandoned them. It didn't say that God said, all right, that's it. I'm done with humanity. What God did was say, okay, if that's what you want, have at it. And so what we see today, family, is not new. All these atrocities and all these things that we see they were doing back then. So Paul gives us clearly here, family, point number one. The proof of our unrighteousness is rampant sin. The proof that we've told God, I don't want you. You can't tell me what to do. No one can tell me how to live. It, it didn't say that we didn't know the truth. It said that we took the truth of God and we replaced it with a lie, which is, all right, I know I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that and I shouldn't do this. You know what? You're not the boss of me. I'm going to live however I want to live. And God was like, okay. Because he's a gentleman and he won't force himself. He's like, oh, no, you will. Love. No, he won't. Okay, and what happens, family, what was happening then and what's happening now is we're utterly destroying ourselves because of this sin. And it's easy for us to look at, the, to talk about the sin of the world, right? But I hope that as we walk through Romans, you will do a self-evaluation and you will look at your life and say, God, if there is any wickedness in me, remove it, Lord. I want to be more like you. I won't make excuses. I won't make excuses, God. So Paul makes his case primarily against the Gentile world. And then in chapter two, he turns the corner because can you imagine to remember the audience, you guys? So the author is Paul. The audience would have been newly converted Gentile Christians, okay? Non-Jewish Christians. And then newly converted Jewish Christians. So can you imagine being a Gentile when this letter is being read and hearing about all this stuff and being like, what, you want to talk about your toes being stepped on? You know what I mean? Couldn't you imagine the Gentiles sitting there like, Oh, I've done some of that stuff. Oh, geez. Okay, he's talking. Wouldn't you be sitting there like this, you guys? Who blabbed? Who told? Who told? 
And can't you also imagine that there would have been some Jewish Christians sitting there Get them, Paul. Oh, amen, amen. You get those filthy Gentiles. Can't you imagine there would have been some Jewish Christians like, mm-hmm. right? Right, can't you see it? Them being self-righteous. Them being like, yeah. Like, they're not like us. You get them, Paul. You tell them. Well, Paul, knowing the prideful heart of mankind, he turns his attention now for the next couple chapters to the Jews. And he says this in your, in your notes there. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you who have set yourself up as judge and jury against all those other filthy sinners, you who have set yourself up as the judge, practice the very same things and everybody go, mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. You're doing the same mess. Paul levels the playing field. It's like I've been harping on the sin of the Gentiles. Let me turn now to my people. I can imagine the Jewish Christians sitting there listening like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I was fine with you in the first part. What are you talking about? Like, do you know who we are? Like, we're God's chosen. Like, we're the ones he gave the law. We're, we're like, you mu he must still just be talking to them. Like, he must still be talking. So he goes on further, family. And he says, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being. And can't you imagine, like, wait a minute. Every human being who does evil, look out, the Jew first. And I imagine hearing, boom. The Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. So it's like, hold up, hold up. Did you first? And then if it's not bad enough that he didn't end there, he ends this way, family, that for God shows no partiality. What? Wait a minute, <laughs> like we're the special ones. Like we're, like we're the ones that, like God said to Father Abraham, I want you to go, and he did, and he did all these things, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and then all along, then Moses, God gave him, we're special, because he gave us these guidelines to live by. Like surely, you can't, we have the law, we're good. We're trying to follow all of these. And you guys, I, I, I've done it before, but I reread through all 613 of the laws. And let me tell you this, like other than the ones that absolutely applied to Jewish people during that time, most of the law as Christians, we should be living up to anyway. You know what I mean? We should, like, like not murdering and not lying and not, you know what I mean? It's not like there are a bunch of strange laws and weird things. There's some weird things in there. But the ones, most of it is things that as Christians, we should do as obedience unto the Father anyway. So the Jews are like, whoa, but, but, but hold on, we're special. Like, we, we, we're great because we, we have all these laws. And he goes on to say, 
You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, and this must have been shocking to hear you guys, the name of God is blasphemed among non-Jews because of you. Can you imagine sitting there hearing that? Like the Gentiles are making fun and not believing in God because of how the Jews behave? Well, you see it all through the Old Testament. You see it all through the Old Testament. The Jews saying, oh God, we are your people. Thank you for the law. We belong to you. you we are your people and you are our God. And then in the next chapter saying, it would have been better for us if we'd have been left in Egypt as slaves. Oh God, you have abandoned us. And then God raining down food from heaven and God parting the Red Sea and, and them being like, oh yes, God, we are with you. You are our God. And then in the next chapter, grumbling, complaining, why are we out here? This is stupid, this is ridiculous. Paul is writing. And Paul is saying, you who boast in the law, you who say, oh yeah, but we've got these guidelines, that we're special. Paul is saying, don't boast, because your boasting is lying, because you're doing some of the very same things. And you're causing Gentiles to stumble by the way you're not keeping the law. And so I want you to have compassion for the Gentiles who would have been sitting there listening to this letter being read about all of their sin. And I want you to have compassion for the Jewish Christians who would have been sitting there, you know, their great-grandparents and their grandparents and their parents, they were raised in Judaism. They were raised with the law. These, these rules and guidelines that brought God out to them, they were, I want you to have compassion for them hearing Paul's words that because of them breaking the law, that they've been a stumbling block to non-Jews. That would have been very difficult to hear. And in case there was any more pushback, and in, in case there was any more from a Jewish listener, in case there, no, but we're special. Like, like you need to understand that we're unique, we're set apart, we're the chosen, you need to, Paul drives this point further by saying, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. He's like, yeah, you have the law, but you've been breaking it. You have the law, and the law of the Lord is perfect and good but it was not designed for anyone to ever be able to simultaneously fulfill all at once, all the time. It was not meant to save the Jews. It was not meant for salvation. So he says, it's not enough that you're Jewish. It's not enough that you're trying your best to follow all of the guidelines. It's not enough because you yourself have fallen into pride. Look at me, I'm, I'm doing the work, I'm doing the work. It's not, what God cares more about is the position of your heart. Number two, family, 
God always cares more about the condition of our heart than any ritual or any, I come to church, so I'm saved. I tithe, so that makes me saved. Um, I, I love my neighbor, so that makes me good. Like all these outward things that we need to do out of obedience, those things don't save us. What saves us is being redeemed in Jesus Christ. And so all these, like the, the argument that, well, I'm a good person. I've never really done any terrible sin. What matters, family? is not what sin you have or have not committed. What matters is who your heart belongs to. Does your heart belong to Jesus Christ? And so that would have been very difficult to hear, family. And so what Paul does then in chapter three is he starts addressing potential questions that these Jewish Christians might have. He starts launching. It's like, all right then, well, what good is it being a Jew then? You know what I mean? Why in the world was I circumcised then? <laughs> he starts answering all these would-be questions of, well, I mean, my goodness, why, did, why even bother? And what about all the covenants that God made us? And what about all the... He starts addressing these questions to Jews who would have been shocked to hear the news that God does not play favorites. What good is it then? What about the covenants? What about all this good stuff that I've been doing? I've been trying my best to follow the rules. I've been trying my best to, to, to make sure that I do the cleansings and I don't eat this and I, I don't do that and I don't touch that and I don't hang out with, with unrighteous people. And I don't, like I've been trying to do all of the right things. And Paul is like, but you, your heart, you weren't doing it in faith. It's your heart. It's always been by faith, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith. It's always been from faith for faith. Finally, he imagines that there will be some Jews that are just exasperated by the whole thing and that would finally just yell out, well then answer me this, is there any advantage in being a Jew? And Paul's like, listen, chill out. You, 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 you guys, God trusted you with the oracles of God. Like he entrusted you with his perfect law. Well, well then, do we have any, any kind of advantage in this thing? And Paul answers very clearly, no, none at all. He goes on further, family, to quote a scripture from Psalms and from Ecclesiastes to drive home his point. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. He levels the ground and says, Jew or Gentile, all of humanity is poisoned. This would have been very, 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 very hard to hear. And I want you to get this, family. It's not just for the Gentiles and the Jews back then and 
for, you know, us now and the Jews now. Like Paul is making a statement that the reason you come to church and maybe the reason you serve and the reason you give and the reason you tell others about Jesus and the reason you love your neighbor and the reason you don't commit adultery and the reason you don't murder and the reason you don't lie, all of those things have to come from a place of faith. They have to come from this understanding that the reason I don't do those things is because I belong to Jesus. It's not that I do all these things and that saves me. I, there are things that I participate in and there are things that I don't participate in and so that saves me. That makes me righteous by the things that I associate with and the things that I don't associate with. This would have been very hard, especially for the Jewish Christians who really tried their best to obey the law. Paul finalizes it by saying this, family. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. He says this plain as day to us. We know that the law of the Lord is perfect. And it doesn't change. And that as Christians in an obedience our lives should look a lot like the laws of the Torah. But Paul says there's no human effort. Michelle, there will never be a time where you can wake up and you can say, okay, all right, so the things that I think that I've been doing wrong, whew, now I'm going to make it happen. I'm just, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to, and that's going to make God like me. Like I'm going to, whoo wee, you guys watch me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be good. Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's only the gospel that's saving us. It's a, there is no amount of human effort, no matter how pure your heart might be, there is no amount of work that will ever save anybody. It is always you and I agreeing with Paul and agreeing with the word of God and agreeing with God himself that I once was lost, but now I'm found that there was nothing good in me. The only thing good and the only thing that saves sinful man is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They Amen, family. Paul builds a profound case here. That is my point number three, family. Every single one of us, would you shout everyone, needs to be rescued from our sin. Every single one of us needs to be showered with the forgiveness and the grace of God. Now listen, this week, this was, this was, so it's like, man, I wanna come to church and I wanna be encouraged and you showed up and it's like, okay, guess what? We're all sinners. <laughs> We're all, but I didn't tell you anything you didn't already know, did I? Did I? There are those of you and you've been thinking that you're unique. 
You've been thinking, there must be something wrong with me. I've got good news for you. There is nothing wrong. You're in the same boat as the rest of us. We all need Jesus. And there's no human effort. There is no amount of trying to be perfect that will ever substitute us standing in the shower of the blood of Jesus, knowing that it is what cleans us. It is what is our righteousness. It is what gives us the ability to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's only by the blood of Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with you. You're a sinner just like your pastor's a sinner. But I hope you won't walk out of here this morning like, man, okay, so primarily, <laughs> today was about, who them Gentiles back then were sinners and so are we. <laughs> and, and okay, so the Jews back then, they had the law, but they weren't following it, so they're sin we're all just going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> no, no, the great news is, is that we have been justified Jesus Christ. We have been, that word justification means that God, and I want you to get this family, that God himself declares you righteous. You're justified. The only way we can stand in the very presence of God and not be terrified is because we are in Christ and he is in us. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, we good, baby. <laughs> and so what about works? What about what we do? Is there any place for what we do? Hear me on this, family. I told you, I reread, I've done it several times, but I reread through the law of Moses again. And most of those laws, we should look like. But not looking for salvation. It's our obedient response to our Father. Those things that we should do and we shouldn't do, they're just reconfirmed all throughout the New Testament. And so the understanding is always this, that we will always be so out of our mind, like that there's a gospel, that there's good news, that, that I don't, that I'm saved. I never have to experience the wrath of God, that that causes us to live in obedience through faith in Him. So it matters what you do. It matters what you say and who you're with and that your habits and those things matter. But the only thing that saves us is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So that's the problem. Sinful humanity, that's the problem. In two weeks, we're going to talk about the provision. We're going to talk about what God did. And how many of you know on that day, we're going to have church, y'all. We can talk about our sin. But I think it's much more fun to talk about what God did pay for our sins. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, my beautiful family? Thank you, Lord, for understanding your word.
thank you that you use the Apostle Paul to write such a beautiful letter. And so now it's up to us, God, if we're going to know the truth and suppress it, if we're going to know you, your truth and what you say and replace it with a lie, or if we're gonna agree with you and say, yep, uh-huh, that's me, I'm a sinner. I need grace. <laughs> and so I speak for myself, Jesus. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for salvation. That it's not just for the Jew. That it's not just for the Gentile. That it's for everyone who would believe. If you'll keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here or you're watching and you don't ever remember a time in your life where you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I wanna give you that opportunity today, but maybe you're watching or maybe you're here and you're like, oh, it's my first time here or this is only the second time that I've watched online. I don't think I'm ready. Like, I want a little bit more information about Jesus before I do that. That's cool. Just keep coming and keep watching. He's waiting for you. Or maybe you have been coming for a while, you've been watching for a while and you're like, I have heard all I need to hear. I'm ready. His arms are open wide for you right now. Would you say this prayer after me? Would you say, dear Jesus, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm a sinner. But I thank you that you died for my sins. And I'm asking you today, come into my life. Take away my sin. Take away that guilt. All those regrets. Make me brand new. From now on, Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to be a part of the church. I'm going to follow you forevermore. In your name, amen. Can we shout hallelujah? <laughs> Are you thankful for Jesus, family? Thank you, Lord. He's so good. Oh, that was a great message. And I just want to encourage you to do one of the greatest things you could do, and that's invite someone back out to church where they can hear and just pray they receive the life transforming message that God has for them. So basically people are in two camps. You know, they got the one camp where they've got the career going on. You know, they're not doing anything like horrible and they got the career and the house and the car and everything seems to be going pretty good. And you bring up the things of God and they think, I'm good. I'm, I'm not a bad person. But we all know in the still small quietness on the inside of their heart, they know they're missing something. And it's Jesus. And the other camp is someone might be like, oh, I'm so wicked and evil and awful. God would never want me in his church. You know, the walls would collapse. No. You know, we're all on this journey of following Christ. We all have our imperfections. And just live out loud, live transparent, and just let people know that you care about them. And as you do that, invite them to church, just as they are. Not they have to change before they come here, but they just come and, and just sit under the teaching of the word. I just wanna encourage you to do that this week and we will see you next week at the fall festival.